Welcome to the Trust Corner. Cloud adoption has skyrocketed in recent years. The cloud offers flexibility, scalability, and is well-suited as a service for businesses that need to process huge volumes of data in real time. While cloud technology enables greater innovation, it has also created new attack vectors and new ways for threat actors to get their hands on private and personal data. The cloud model involves a shared responsibility whereby software provider and the customer work together to protect data. How can organizations foster trust in and across cloud environments? Our guest today is Matt Kiyoti, Chief Trust Officer at Survey, whose fundamental business is securing SaaS applications. Matt has over two decades of experience in security, leading teams at Palo Alto Networks, Redlock, Cognizant, Deloitte, and eBay. He has led world-class research, served on the board of directors of InfraGuard, currently serves as a faculty at IANS Research, and hosts the Cloud Security Today podcast. Welcome to the Trust Corner, Matt. Thanks, Elena, for having me. I'm excited to be here. As I mentioned in your introduction, you have had an immersive and impressive career in security. Tell us more about your background. What led you to your current role of the chief trust officer? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I, I spent the last decade focused almost exclusively on cloud security. So cloud security is a space that I, I know intimately, and I've been around it since the very early days of AWS. Um, and in my previous role at Palo Alto Networks, as you mentioned, uh, I helped them to scale their cloud security product, Prisma Cloud, to become the number one player in the cloud security space, specifically around AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud uh, security. Now, one thing I've I've learned about myself over the last, I don't know, probably seven years or so is that I get bored pretty easily once I feel that I've mastered something. And of course, you never truly master something, but you do reach a certain level where at least for me, I, I get bored because I feel like, okay, I'm not growing anymore. So after about three and a half years at Palo Alto Networks, I was started to look for a startup. And I came to Palo Alto Networks by way of a startup. And so if you, let me just say this about startups. If you've ever worked at one, you know, seed stage, series A, when they're still pretty early, um, they either, you either love them or you hate them, right? They're either fitting kind of your DNA or, or they're just too crazy for you. For me, I had spent, you know, the first 18 years of my career at fortune 100 companies, really big companies. And, um, I could, I did well, but I, there was always this part of me that was just kind of curious about small companies. And so when I did, after I did my first startup, Redlock, um, I knew that eventually I would go back. So all that to say that, you know, after being at Palo Alto Networks, after they acquired the company I was at, Redlock, um, I wanted to, I was started looking again, probably around the three-year mark for just, you know, there's a lot of cybersecurity vendors and I wanted I wanted to just find somebody who was solving a problem that perhaps no one else was trying to solve. And that's when Serbi uh, caught my attention because they had a they had a bold vision and they were actually solving a problem that actually has existed for a long time, but most people think that was something that that's not even possible to solve. So bottom line for me is I always am looking for 
big challenges uh, that never have been solved before. Those are the types of things that have that really get me excited. Fantastic. Ahmad, so you were talking about the, your experience in working in Fortune 500 companies, big companies, startups, and now we're interested to learn more about Serbia and what do they actually do that so many people think it's impossible. So can you tell us more about the company and what do you do there as a chief trust officer? Yeah, absolutely. So Serbi helps, you know, IT and security teams align with business priorities. And the way it does that is it enables employees to choose the applications that make them most productive. Now, what does that really mean? Well, here's the thing. The way the thing that's unique about Serbi is that most cybersecurity tools or platforms, they're not designed for business users or for end users. They're really designed for security teams, maybe IT teams. The way that Serbi works is that employees actually want to use it because it makes their day-to-day -day job easier, right? And employees, they can onboard SaaS applications directly into Serbi. And once they do that, those applications are automatically connected to corporate identity providers. This means that things like password managers, they're completely eliminated. And if a user is trying to use some type of new application that maybe IT doesn't know about, it's automatically detected. So really, Serbia enables business-led IT while balancing governance and security. And I, one of the things that, one of the terms that we coined over the last year is the term unmanageable applications. And so a lot of people, when they hear that, they say, well, what's what do you mean by unmanageable? Don't you just mean like an unmanaged application? And there's a, there's a difference, right? So in any type of organization, and this isn't just big companies, Elena. This could be, you know, a company that, you know, quite frankly has probably as as few as you know 500 employees. You will have multiple different types of applications, right? So in one category, uh, we generally see organizations have what's known as uh, trusted or um, IT sanctioned applications. So let's call them sanctioned, and these are the applications that we all kind of know and love, right? They support all the security standards. They usually have all types of different security certifications. So you have that bucket. Those are the sanctioned. And then you have this next category that I would call, um, you know, not quite trustworthy, or maybe we call them tolerated applications. And what that means is that they, they could be provisioned by IT, but they're usually not managed because they lack support for security standards like single sign-on, maybe they don't have security APIs. So IT might have provisioned them, but they don't have any way to manage them at scale. So that's the second bucket. And then the third bucket, these are the applications that are just completely unsanctioned, meaning that IT doesn't know about it and security can't manage it, usually because A, the application itself, again, doesn't support critical standards, or B, the business just got tired of waiting for IT and it just went out and procured it. Some of these might, some of these apps could fall into the shadow IT category. So, you know, unmanageable applications, that's again, any app that has, that doesn't support security standards like SAML and Skim, or just any app that doesn't support security APIs. So that's a big piece of it. So as, as chief trust officer, I'm actually responsible for a few different areas. Uh, cyber is definitely one of them. Although, you know, being a startup, we've got just about under 50 employees. We're very DevSecOps focused. So our model of security 
doesn't look like a traditional cybersecurity teams where you've got, you know, GRC compliance, incident response, SOC teams, et cetera, right? We're very DevSecOps focused. So cyber is definitely part of that. Uh, but I also own, for example, intellectual, intellectual property by way of patents. So that's another area. The other area that falls under trust is how we talk about our product, right? Because think about it. There is always the temptation for companies to uh, talk about what they do in a way that maybe isn't really 100% representative of what they actually do, right? It's, let's just say, overly embellished. Uh, so part about how we talk about our product publicly, also corporate strategy and thought leadership. So for us, trust, especially in a startup, in a, in a seed stage startup, it encompasses a lot of things. Matt, thank you for sharing with us your story and your focus areas. Before Sorbet, you were Vice President and Chief Security Officer at Palo Alto Networks, a Silicon Valley company founded almost 20 years ago. What drew you to Survey compared to other companies? And what are the challenges for a Chief Trust Officer at a new startup versus a more established company? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is... You know, there's different levels of startups, right? So if you if if someone has not been in a startup, you can have some a, a startup that is literally, uh, basically either angel funded or maybe family funded, right? And you just have maybe a founder or two, and maybe two or three critical, you know, first hires. That's about as early stage as you get, and at that stage, you're not even thinking about trust, right? Because you don't usually have a product, you have an idea. It's not usually been coded yet. And you're working towards, you're working with design partners, trying to get design partners. So at that point, you know, at that early of a stage, you're not even thinking about trust. When a company raises a, maybe a pre-seed round or at most a seed round, that's when they start to think about, okay, we likely have a minimally viable product, an MVP, and we've got design partners that are maybe using our tool in some capacity that's when they start to usually think about trust. Like, what does that mean for our business? And it means multiple different things, right? And then as they scale, typically Series A, that's where they take try to take their existing model and then take it to the masses. And that's, you know, A, B, C, et cetera. Um, it just, you kind of amplify those things. But the bottom line is that startups, especially those that are pre-Series A, that are, you know, again, angel or maybe seed round, they have zero credibility to start as a corporation. It's usually the early deals that are done are done on the relationship of those existing, either the founders or some of those key initial hires. So for me, as a chief trust officer, I'm making sure that we are building a company that's trustworthy. And especially when you're talking about a cybersecurity company, certainly a company like Serbi, where we are managing, storing uh, users' passwords, you need to buy, you need to build an environment that is extremely trustworthy. And we've done that and we're doing that in a way following a zero trust strategy, which kind of seems the opposite, but that's probably another topic we could talk about maybe later on. But you know, for us, again, this means that making sure that in everything that we're doing, so if it's in our marketing, our security and the product itself, it's all about making sure that we're doing things with integrity, right? And it's, you know, we've all heard the expression, you know, integrity is, you know, being the same person through and through, no matter the audience or the context, and even if nobody's there. So for me, that that's uh, really kind of how I look at it. And the other thing to remember about 
about startups is they don't typically need to have, or they don't usually even have the funding for a full security team. So when I look at trust, this is, it really means that those, those security roles that you would see in a, a larger, well-established company are typically spread across different teams. But in a software startup, a B2B startup, B2C, it's very heavily focused in engineering. So making sure that this is, you know, coordinated as part of a program. Uh, in our case, you know, we are a SOC 2 type 2 um, attested company. That all is part of our trust initiatives. Excellent. Thank you for sharing your focus areas, Matt. And I think a lot of the companies would agree with you on this, on the journey and the steps you have to accomplish and the steps you have outlined. We also recognize our own journey and what you just described. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the cloud adoption. So what we see is that cloud adoption has really taken off since the pandemic and hence the need to secure the SaaS applications. So many companies are now choosing to take their processes to the cloud, uh, including our customers at SAP and including ourselves. When it comes to trust and security, how does cloud differ from on-premise? How, how is it different to build trust in those environments? And what should customers know before making this transition? You know, cloud itself is no longer new, but there are still more companies that haven't yet moved a bulk of their workloads than those who have. I was looking at research from O'Reilly and they found that 55% of organizations still rely on traditionally managed on-premises systems. So although most organizations, they're using cloud in some way or another, right? Maybe you know, SaaS apps, things like that, for sure. You know, I, I do, I still do quite a bit of consulting through IN's research. And one of the questions I often get um, is just, you know, or one of the responses that I often get when I ask about cloud use is, we're not in the cloud. And usually when I probe a few different ways, uh, I find that they are using cloud, maybe it's through SaaS. So if we talk specifically here, for, for most organizations, they've typically centered their cloud use around SaaS, which is usually, at least at first, it's not usually strategic. Usually users have gone out. And we talked earlier about kind of sanctioned, unsanctioned, and tolerated applications, those three buckets. Most of them went down the SaaS route because the business just went out and did it, right? This is the whole business-led IT piece. We used to call part of it shadow IT, but... And certainly that still exists, but business-led IT was a part of it. When you think about you know, infrastructure as a service and platform as a service in clouds like AWS, Azure, and Google, that's where things I think are a little bit different. Because if you're going to run your own workloads in the cloud, you have to know precisely what you're going to do from a security perspective. What I often see organizations is, especially at this, I would call it late stage of the cloud game, most organizations, let's just say security and trust teams are usually coming in late because the business has been operating in those clouds in some cases for years, a lot of times without even the security and trust teams knowing. So in those cases there, what, is what, I, what I typically say is that, you know, first of all, if your organization does not have a cloud strategy, it's really important to work with the CIO 
to develop one. And I think at this stage, most companies do have a cloud strategy, but there are still those that I speak with who don't. So step one is coming up with a cloud strategy. What does it look like? Um, so that's that's first one. The, the second thing is when we, you know, I think the question you had asked was, you know, what does what does um, what does trust look like in the cloud, or you know, what should customers know before making the transition? It's that the way that the way that trust in the cloud typically comes, and, and this goes for SaaS providers or you know, again, um, infrastructure as a service providers, the way that that trust is is typically established is through third party attestations. So think of things like a SOC 2, an ISO 27000, those types of uh, accreditations, in some cases, certifications. That's how you'd usually get it. Because as most people know, if you're using Salesforce, you're not going to be able to go into their data centers and do an audit. Same thing with AWS and all those tier one cl uh, cloud providers. Unless you're a government agency, they're not going to let you in. So you have to rely on those third-party attestations that's how they prove trust. And in fact, some of them even call it their trust center. You go to their website and you can go to their trust center. I think Microsoft may call it that. And you can see all of the different attestations that they have, the different programs they're part of, but that's that's really how it's there. You know, So if someone hasn't largely done this, it hasn't been a strategic move, that's one thing they're going to have to get really comfortable with is not being able to go out and do the typical the site audit that we did for the last, you know, 15, 20 years, things like that. Um, and, you know, on a premise and premise world is, you know, you, you don't usually have those, right? It, that trust comes typically from the fact that you have firsthand knowledge of those environments. Maybe you built them over the last, you know, decade or two. That's really the, the, the really big difference. And so I would say is that, you know, as customers, you know, if they're making that transition, Maybe maybe 2023 is a big year for that transition. I would say that, you know, I know I think we might talk about this a little bit more later, but it's really important from a security and trust perspective that you have some type of standard that you map to, some type of framework, right? And it could be a, a NIST CSF. It could be something as simple as, as following um, a baseline. Like, for example, the Australian Signals Directorate has their Essential 8. You know, just pick a model maybe it's aligning to ISO, pick a model and go with it and measure toward it. I'd say that's the biggest thing out of the gate. Right. Thanks a lot, Matt. And of course, it's good to rely on a model that's adopted as a standard and we do exactly the same thing. Trust is a new business category that more and more companies are adopting as part of their C-suite. What kind of companies do you think and what kind of industries should consider creating a trust office? I think the concept of a trust office, I think the first company that I saw that did this was, I don't know if it was Box or Dropbox. One of those two companies, um, I think was the first time that I saw it. And I know that, I don't know, maybe it was ServiceNow, I think also had a trust office, but for you know, so for kind of forward-thinking tech companies, maybe the idea of a trust office is not new, but for outside of tech, I still think it's an emerging title. So, to answer your question, I'd say that you know those that maybe have had trouble with trust in the past due to maybe past failures, maybe it's could be breaches, it could be just uh, issues with consumer products. I think those are places that really need to invest specifically around trust because think of 
if you think of a brand that you really trust, right? And you know, one of the most respected brands worldwide is is Johnson and Johnson, right? A very large um, pharmaceutical kind of integrated health company. Uh, I worked there actually in my first role out of college, so I still have good fondness toward that company. But when you have a brand like that, that brand is highly trusted, and there are obviously many other examples. When a company is not a startup and they're well established, they have essentially built up a let's call it a bank account of trust that you know no company's perfect like even Johnson and Johnson they've had different you know issues over the years but because they've worked on that reputation and they are they have been so adherent to their credo something they talk about Johnson and Johnson as their credo they have they're able to withdraw from that so again i think the first company first group would be companies that have maybe had past failure issues, maybe because they they did not have uh, an ethos that they operated under, or they didn't have clear ethics and values. That would be the first category. And then the second category would maybe just be those companies that have products that require a high level of trust to be successful. You know, think about it this way, Elena. You know, the the level of trust that I need to have in a in the supplier of my fitness equipment doesn't need to be at the same level as my iPhone, right? There, the, the thing that I need from those vendors is very different. Uh, you know, my iPhone has all types of personal information on there, healthcare information where my fitness equipment, you know, I don't need to have that same level. So I'd say that those are, I think that, you know, of course, any business could benefit from it, but I think those that fall into those two categories are likely ones that could benefit the most. Perfect. Yeah. And who at some point hasn't had um, something they would like to fix, right? So certainly <laughs> it happens. It happens. Like I said, even, you know, I know Johnson & Johnson, one of the most respected brands they've had, they've had things that have happened on and off. They had the Tylenol scandal back in the, I don't know if it was in the 1980s, I forget when it was. And then, but again, companies are remembered, not necessarily for what happened, but for their response to what happened. And they gained a lot of credibility from their, their response to it. Right. So Matt, in this new and growing business category, it's important to have the right people working with you. When recruiting trust professionals, what experience and skills are you looking for? You know, typically I'm looking for those that have, you know, either a mix of a privacy or a security background, ideally mixed with, with marketing. And I'd say that, you know, this is actually a lethal mix because Security enables privacy, and all those two things together lead to building trust, security, and privacy. And you know, I mentioned marketing because marketing knows how to communicate to the world. So part of trust is is actually doing things that are trustworthy. I talked about security and privacy, but being able to then communicate that as part of your brand is extremely important. So I'm I'm always looking for uh, a mix of backgrounds. And um, typically the more diverse a background in terms of companies they've worked for, areas they've worked in, in those companies, to me, that that is extremely important when I'm looking at uh, filling you know, trust roles and uh, building out trust centers. Fantastic. So now we have your recipe. Great. Thank you for sharing it with us. So uh, when, um, 
when you explain trust to other executives, what do you think they may critically not understand about trust? And what have you struggled to communicate to others about trust? I think it's that m many organizations, because the title of of you know chief trust officer is still new outside of I'd say outside of the tech space. Most people just confuse it with either what's being done in security or maybe sometimes privacy. And I think, yes, as I mentioned, there are there are components of both trust uh, of security and privacy that that really make up trust. But I think it's elevating it to a level that it is organization-wide, right? So in some of the work that I've done with ISACA, they have their digital trust initiatives, which I encourage people to check out. Um, but digital trust or trust itself is really a currency. And as the world moves every day, another step closer to uh, digitization. And this is, you know, the move to digital has been something we've talked about in industry now for the last, you know, three to five years. But every year, every month that goes by, businesses continue to modernize more and more of their processes. And as more and more of those processes come into online systems that are many times connected to the internet, trust or digital trust becomes even more critical. And, you know, we talked about things that diminish trust. Certainly breaches are one of those things that uh, diminish trust, right? I think we've all, unfortunately, have probably gotten several breach notices over the last probably decade of places that have maybe not have been quite as trustworthy to have our data. So I think that's one of the things I would I would say that is maybe a point of just, well, maybe it's just a point of like the conversation still needs to mature, but there are definitely organizations that get it. They say, look, we understand we, we have security, we have privacy, but elevating those things to make sure that we have an organization-wide vision in terms of how trust fits in and enables our mission, that's really, I think, the point. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Matt. Not just for sharing the struggles, but also giving the next steps and the path forward. So we all are looking forward to building a more trusted digital ecosystem. At SAP, we want to encourage other organizations to follow the footsteps. Uh, similar to what we've done and similar to what you've done at Serbi, uh, and establish their own trust offices. What's your best advice for companies that are considering establishing a trust office? Yeah, I mean, I, I think first of all is, is just defining what trust means for your business. You know, what good looks like, what bad looks like. You have to paint a very clear picture and make sure it maps to your vision in mission. If there's if there isn't consistency, if it's not clearly tied, then I, I think that like a lot of corporate initiatives, and I've I've been around corporate America for over two decades, I've seen a lot of initiatives that sound good and then they kind of you know fade away. And the reason they fade away is because they're they're not clearly mapped to the vision, the mission, and the values of the company. That's usually why they, they don't get there. So I would say that if again if a company is is considering establishing a trust office, start with where does it map? Where does it fit? And obviously part of that conversation is going to be organizationally, if you're going to bring on a chief trust officer, you need to figure out what are the areas that they are going to own? Where are they going to report? And obviously that's going to be different for every organization. There's no 
right or wrong answer in terms of where that role should report. But where they report, if they're not reporting to the CEO, it does make a statement around, I think, at least in my view, where how how important trust is to the organization. So I think looking at all those things, making sure you're consistent is extremely important. Fantastic. Well, thank you for outlining that path for us, Matt. And thank you for joining us today on the Trust Corner. That was fun. I loved, uh, I loved chatting with you, Elena. 